you got your Bibles, open to John chapter 17, and then we're going to jump back to Acts chapter 5. John chapter 17, and then back to Acts chapter 5. Uh, question to start today. Have you ever just wished a problem would disappear? Okay, Have you ever wished a problem would just disappear before? Um, for some of you, you're like, yes, the entire year of 2020. I wish it would just go away, right? There's a great movie that my, we watched with my kiddos called Monsters uh, Incorporated. You ever seen Monsters Incorporated? Great movie. In the movie Monsters Incorporated, there's a wonderful scene where Mike Wazowski, that's the character whose the voice is Billy Crystal, but he's the, he's the monster with one eye and he's all green. And uh, he looks and he has to do a whole bunch of paperwork before he can go on a date later on that evening uh, with another a person that he works with. And so he walks up to Roz, uh, the old lady that turns out that she's an, actually a government agent, the old monster, and she's actually a government agent. Spoiler alert. He goes in, and do you remember the scene? He walks in. He's got all this paperwork to do before he can go on his date. And he looks at Roz and he goes, wouldn't it be great if it all just blew away? Do you remember that scene? Do you ever just wish it all would just blow away? I mean... For me personally, that is my prayer often, right? Lord, it'd be nice if this thing I'm going through would just blow away, if it would just go somewhere else, if it could be someone else's problem for another day. And here's what's interesting. If you've ever gone through a health crisis before, either for you or someone that you love dearly, you just wish it would just blow away. You just wish it would just go away. For some of you who've gone through legal issues or you may be going through them now, there's never anybody who's like, yay, I get to go to court, right? Yay, I have to pay the government money. There's nobody who ever stands up and says that. Instead, you just wish the problem would disappear, and yet you have to go through it. Some of you are going through housing issues right now, trying to pay bills. You're going through housing issues, figuring out, should I move? Should I stay? Should I try a new location? Is this something where, uh, again, the world's going to be like this for long enough? I'm going to have to make some real-life choices, and you wish the problem would just go away, job situations. There are a bunch of you, and the way that I've prayed for you, I do this every election, but I've prayed for you so heavily because there's a huge portion of our congregation, all politics aside, but the way things go this week determine whether you move up, down, sideways, or somewhere else because of what's taking place. It is not lost on our church that those are some human issues that we are gonna navigate through this next week, and you just wish that it would just blow away have you ever had problems in your family before? Those are the ones that ain't going nowhere. You know what I mean? You're bound by blood, you're bound by law, and I'm telling you, it's a problem, and you're sitting there staring Thanksgiving on the calendar going, I'm going to have to see those people, and I'm going to have to deal with that issue. Can I just tell you some good news? I've got some good news today on how you can pray. Jesus tells us in that situation, when it doesn't just disappear, when there's a problem in front of us, that there is a way we should pray. Look with me, if you will, at John chapter 17, verse 15. For some of you, this will be your 2020 verse. Are you ready? Here's what it says, John 17, verse 15. And by the way, you want to talk about a situation where you're staring trouble in the face? This is what Jesus prays the night before he's crucified, the night before he goes through the most excruciating pain and has the sin of the world placed on his shoulders. Here's what he prays for his disciples. Verse 15, my prayer is not 
that you would take them out of the world. Circle, underline, underline, circle, highlight, and underline. My prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. Stop right there for just a minute. Some powerful theology right here. Even though Jesus is talking to the Father, what he's doing in this moment is also teaching future generations. This is a prayer not just prayed for the disciples. It's prayed for you and me and also for future generations as well. Jesus says, my prayer is not that it would just disappear, that it would all just blow away. Because in those moments of persecution, in those moments of difficulty, that's where God reveals the faith that he's been cultivating in each and every one of us. He says, my prayer is not that you would get them out of here. He says, my prayer is that you would protect them from the evil one. That idea of protection, this is so interesting, is that God would protect us moment by moment, day by day. You see, the Christian takes their life in a moment by moment, day by day, step by step process. It's not in the big, Lord, beam me out of here. If that were the case, then the second we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, we'd go straight to heaven. No, he's created us here to cultivate faith because without faith, it's impossible to please God. I want you to think of some biblical characters. When you think of that biblical character, it's interesting. Most of the time, if we did a word association, what you would associate with them uh, with that character is the struggle that they went through. When I say David, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Usually it's Goliath. It might be King. It might be Psalms. But if you're really being honest at the base root, what's the story that we teach kids from the time they're young? Man, everybody knows the story of David and Goliath. You think back about Joshua. What's the word that comes to mind when you say Joshua. Usually it's Jericho. It's the great incredible persecution, the miracle that he did when he wore, the miracle that he was a part of when they marched around the walls of Jericho in faith and the Lord had the walls begin to tumble down. When we say the word Moses, what comes to mind is typically the Ten Commandments or the Ten Plagues or the way that he led his people uh, out of Egypt and led them out of slavery and bondage, the persecution, crossing the Red Sea. Man, when you think of Moses, the persecution is what the Lord used to reveal the faith that had been cultivated in his life. And then there's Daniel. Daniel, when you say Daniel, what's the first thing you think of? You think of the lion's den. You think of the persecution that he went through, which, by the way, was a political setup. Can I tell you what Daniel probably prayed? When they sealed the mouth of that den with the king's signet ring, and nobody but the king could open it, when they sealed that lion's den, can I tell you what I bet Daniel's first prayer was? God, get me out of here. I can promise you that is probably the first prayer that was prayed. And then when it didn't happen, do you remember how the story ends? It says, an angel of the Lord shows up and shut the mouths of the lions. Jesus says, my prayer is not that you would take them out of the world. But my prayer is that you would protect them from the evil one. If that's not a DC verse, I don't know what is. The prayer of the disciple is, Lord, in the midst of my persecution, if you have allowed it, it is so that faith in my life will be revealed. Lord, if you won't get me out of here, then shut the mouths of the lions. It ends up showing God in such a powerful way. There's some of you that what you do is anytime you go through persecution, your first thought is, God hates me. Can I tell you that's not what we read in John chapter 17, verse 15? The persecution reveals the faith that the Lord has cultivated within us. 
God allowing you to be persecuted is actually one of the greatest gifts that you could receive because the Lord is allowing you to be, allowing to be revealed in you the faith that he's been cultivating and he shows you for who he made you to be. He shows great strength. If you're taking notes, write this down. In times of persecution, pray for protection and watch for provision. Let me say that again. In times of persecution, pray for protection and watch for provision. As difficult moments happen, as difficult things happen to us that are not going away, we watch for God's protection and provision minute by minute and day by day. Well, it begs the big million dollar question. So what can God do when I'm being persecuted. Flip with me, if you will, to Acts chapter five, and we're gonna jump into verse 17 and keep going through our story. If you're here today and you go, man, Zach, are you preaching specifically because the election is coming up? No, we go through the passage from top to bottom. Uh, this is what the Lord set up for us to hear about this week. And so, again, don't want you to feel like we're preaching towards a topic, uh, but maybe, just maybe, there are some of you here today that this will be very, very relevant for you. Are you ready? Uh, we're gonna address the question again. What can God do uh, when I'm being persecuted. Just for the record, not what will God do, but what can God do. This is a passage about hope uh, and not necessarily about the promise of specifically what God will do. In the midst of persecution, the Lord is crafting that, uh, uh, that path very, very specifically, and we're going to look at what that looks like in this specific circ circumstance today. Look at Acts chapter 5, and now let's start in verse 17. What can God do when I'm being persecuted? Here's what it says. And by the way, this is on the heels of last week's message uh, where the... Uh, uh, the apostles were continuing to preach the gospel in Solomon's colonnade there at the temple, and they were growing by number every single day. In fact, even though people watched them at a distance, they still would find themselves connecting to them in membership and becoming part of their group. Now look at what happens next, verse 17. It says, then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees, underline party of the Sadducees, because that's really important. They were what? They were filled with jealousy. Underline filled with jealousy. Then they arrested the apostles and they put them into the public jail. Underline the apostles in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord appeared and opened the doors of the jail and let them out. Underline open the doors of the jail and let them out. Stop right there for just a minute. A lot of big buzzwords as we go through this. So all of a sudden we find out that there is a group of leadership called the Sadducees and the Sadducees get angry at the apostles. Here's why the Sadducees' word is important. The Sadducees were a bit more liberal in the way that they addressed theology, but they had one big hang-up, and that was the resurrection. So the oppression and the persecution that the apostles are feeling right here is coming specifically from a group going, we'll let you meet, we'll let you hang out with the people, we'll let you heal the sick, we'll let you do a lot of things, but leave that whole resurrection story behind. Here's the problem. Paul says it best in 1 Corinthians 15, 14. Without the resurrection, our teaching is useless and so is your faith. One translation says without the resurrection, we are the worst of fools. If they compromise on that, the power of the whole message falls to pieces. So you've got this passage that starts off with persecution coming from a group saying, just let go of a piece of the theology. And the disciples are sitting there going, piece of the theology? That is the theology. If Christ has not been raised, how in the world are we going to be? This is a foundational shift for them that's taking place. And why is it happening? Because of jealousy. The root was not that they disagreed, that they had a way to fight the theology. 
They persecute them and they put them in jail. And by the way, Peter and John have been to jail. It says all the apostles. They rounded up every single one of them. This is the first time that all the apostles had been in jail at the same time. First recorded time. And it says when they went to jail that the reason behind it was petty jealousy. If you're taking notes, write this down. What can God do when I'm being persecuted? Number one, God can provide a way past jealousy. In this circumstance, he literally opens the doors of the jail cells and lets them all out of their cages. Some of you here today, God can provide a way past jealousy. Now, there are some of you here today that would go, really, we're gonna spend a whole point on jealousy? If you've ever had to go through someone's wicked, jealous tantrum before, Maybe, just maybe, this passage was for you. There's some of you today that are going to file this away for another day, and then there are others of you, it has hit so close to home, and you need to know that today, this day, that the Lord is reminding you, whoever your jealous oppressor is, and just for the record here, in this city, it's usually at work. Whoever your jealous oppressor is, God can provide a way past that oppressor. God can provide a way through this mess. If you are sitting in a circumstance where you are so low, I don't know about you, but jealousy will just level me, and if I feel it, it's so oppressive, it's so heavy, I just feel like it's on top of me. And all of a sudden I think, Lord, just get me out of here, get me out of here. And the Lord sometimes will allow us to stay in that circumstance because that person's jealousy is meant to be exposed for what it is. It's petty, and it's worthless to the organization. Save your spot there in Acts. But there's a great jealousy verse, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 4. Let's jump over there for just a second. Here's what the writer in Proverbs has to say. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 4. It says, anger is cruel and fury overwhelming. But who can stand before jealousy? Stop right there for just a minute. You don't think that jealousy isn't a wicked tool of the enemy? Jealousy is a virus that infects your mind and your heart. And it says in that passage very plainly, anger, anger is cruel. It's an awful enemy to fight against. Fury, again, this physical violent anger, man, I'm telling you, it's overwhelming. But the writer here says, but under jealousy, you can't even stand up on your own. There is no way to reason with a jealous mind and a jealous heart. So what do you do? You petition God for the miraculous. You pray that God would provide a way for you to stand up under it. I had situations where I had to go into offices when I was working for a boss that was jealous. And you know what I used to do? I got so eaten up with it, and all I could do was think about interviewing for other jobs. And, go. and he said, son, you and I finally got to where I had a good mentor. My father was a great mentor. And he said, son, you just need to pray for the Lord to calm your heart before you go in. He said, it's still a good place, and God's truly placed you there for a reason. And so before I walked through the door frame of that job, I would stop each day before the door, and I would pray, Lord, put your thoughts in my mind and your words in my mouth that I might make it through the day. And then I'd step across the threshold and walk into work. It was a way to get my mind in the proper mindset. Sometimes the world will tell us that there is no way around jealousy, but the truth is God can make a way 
if he desires to make a way. Over the pandemic, we've been watching a really fun TV show. Um, did you pick up any weird TV shows through the pandemic that you just started watching? Um, we started watching one called Holy Moly. Uh, it's a, uh, it's kind of like, if you ever saw the TV show Wipeout back in the day, uh, where they, uh, the people try to go through the obstacles, it's like Wipeout with miniature golf. That's why it's called Holy Moly. And so uh, Rob Riggle is one of the commentators on the show. Our family watched every single episode. Some of you are like, are you kidding me? No, we loved it. It was great. You can watch it on Hulu now. You can watch the whole thing. It's a great little show. Not many brain cells used for this one, uh, but just a fun show. Anyway, what they have to do is after they putt, then they have an obstacle in front of them. And if they can make it through the obstacle, then they don't lose a stroke going into their second shot. But if they miss a shot, then they have to run, or excuse me, but if they, if they, if they run through the obstacle, get knocked into the water, then they lose a stroke. Well, the most famous obstacle in Holy Moly is the windmills, okay? So they've got these huge windmills that are spinning. There's a small path and uh, these big Dutch windmills that are spinning. And then, sure enough, the, the windmill's turning so fast, it usually hits the person, and then they get swung into the water. It's, it's a really dramatic collapse where they hit the water. Just a lot of fun to watch, right? I, I kind of like slapstick comedy uh, at my core, and so uh, you're watching this thing. It's just a lot of fun. Well, sure enough, the windmill, the reason it doesn't work is because they try to run through, and when they try to run through, half their body makes it through, but you need to come through straight up like this to be able to pass by. Because they try to run through, their legs get caught, they get hit, and they shoot them into the water on the other side. Well, one day, they're doing this windmill thing, and Rob Riggle's like, nobody's making it through this year. Nobody's making it through the windmills. And you watch it. I mean, just for the first like four or five episodes, every person gets knocked off by the windmill into the water. But then one day, one day, there's a guy who sees it and he's standing up straight and he walks up to the front and they're like, what is he doing? Is he a fool? What is he doing? And you watch it. Then he like hops forward, but he's straight up so that he goes through at just the right angle. And man, slides through, it chops him right there on his rear end as he jumps through. And you watch it, they're like, oh my goodness, he made it through. How did he make it through? And you're watching, you're like, it's actually simple physics the way that he made it through, right? He went through straight up. He went at the proper angle. Now listen, when it comes to jealousy, when you got the world around you going, ah, under jealousy, who can stand? It's impossible. It's so difficult. There's no way. Somebody who's jealous and coming against you, how can you possibly stand up against them? The Lord will make a way. The faithful have to realize if God is allowing this persecution and in your job, if the Lord has not released you from that place yet, then your prayer is that you could behave in a godly fashion even as the wicked surround you, that the Lord would shut the mouths of the lions just like in the case with Daniel. And then, all of a sudden, it becomes a defining characteristic of your life and your career, that you were able to do the right thing even when it was difficult, that the faith was revealed. If you're taking notes, write this down. God is fully aware that jealousy fights dirty, and he often counters it with the miraculous. Let me say that again. God is fully aware that jealousy fights dirty, and he often counters it with the miraculous. God knows that it requires a miracle to get past it, but our God is in the business of miracles. It begs the question, do you need to start praying for daily deliverance from jealousy? Let me say that again. Do you need to start praying for daily deliverance from jealousy? 
Are you in a circumstance where you need to start praying that prayer? God, put your thoughts in my mind, your words in my mouth, and help me get through the day before you even cross the threshold going into work. You do that, and I promise you, you'll be able to tolerate a whole lot more than you think you can. God provides peace that passes all understanding. Now look at what happens next in Acts chapter five, and let's read verse 20. So they're led out, and this is so powerful. These are the words of the angel of the Lord that opens the door for them. It says again, starting in verse 19, but that night an angel of the Lord appeared, opened the doors of the jail, and he brought them out. Hear the words, go, stand in the temple courts. Underline, go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message. Underline and highlight the full message of this new life. Some of your translations say, go and tell them all the words of this new life. Can I tell you why that's important? The angel of the Lord says to them, because the Sadducees are the ones who put them in jail, the ones persecuting them for the resurrection, saying just pull back on that part of your message and then we don't have a problem with you. The angel of the Lord shows up and says, you've been led out miraculously in this moment, not so you could compromise on your theology. This miraculous moment has happened to provide courage for you to stand strong and to do the right thing, to preach the full message because that's where the power of God is coming from. If you're taking notes, write this down. What can we do when we're being persecuted? What can God do when we're being persecuted? Number one, God can provide a way past jealousy. But number two, God can inspire courage to stand firm on the gospel. God can inspire courage to stand firm on the gospel. There are some of you that, again, misunderstand compromise. I was in that boat myself. We get to hear sometimes compromise is good, and then you hear other times that compromise is bad. It's all about understanding what it is that you're called to compromise on. When it comes to the truths of Almighty God in Scripture, Christ and Him crucified, the truth, the resurrection, those are foundational points on which we stand that our eternity is founded upon. If Christ has not been raised, then how in the world are we going to be? That is hard truth that does not change but sometimes you compromise on the other stuff I mean let's say Wayne and I decide we want to go to lunch together and I go hey Wayne you want to go eat at five guys Wayne goes no man um had five guys before I'm on I'm trying to watch uh, trying to stay in good shape we see Wayne walking around the neighborhood he's in he's in good shape Wayne goes you want to go to sweet green I go do I look like I want to go to sweet green (laughs) Wayne goes, you probably could use it. And I go, yeah, you're probably right. I don't know if I want sweet green. So then Wayne goes, "Uh, well, how about Circa? I get a salad, you get a steak. How about Circa? I look at him and I go, that sounds like a good compromise. How about we make that happen? We go together. So compromise. You don't treat going to lunch with a friend the same way you treat the truths of Scripture. But hear me, you don't treat the truths of Scripture the same way you treat going to lunch with a friend. There are certain things in this world that we need to compromise on because it don't really matter where we eat lunch. And then when it comes to the truths of Almighty God, if they forfeit the resurrection here to stay out of jail if they forfeit the truths of Scripture, you want to talk about a trade that they're probably considering at this point? The Lord didn't miraculously free them so that they could compromise on the most important piece of our faith. Instead, they had to stand strong. We sometimes have what I like to call stained glass theology. 
Stained glass theology is where you see these apostles and you see these disciples through a stained glass window and you see them as these two-dimensional characters that are doing these amazing things and they seem almost like they have the halo shining behind them and you see those beautiful stained glass windows and you think, man, they're larger than life. These were just people, just like you and I in this room. They were just people filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with the gospel message, filled with the truths of scripture. But I guarantee you there was fear when they were put in jail for the first time because of their faith. The Lord very powerfully says, I'm opening the doors of the jail that you might remember this moment. And I'm providing a message from the angel. Preach the full message. Don't give up on the resurrection. That's where the power comes from. If you're taking notes, write this down. The apostles were not set free to hide and bargain. They were, they were to stand in the open and proclaim the whole gospel. Let me say that again. The apostles were not set free to hide and bargain. They were to stand in the open and proclaim the whole gospel. Throughout my life, there have been many moments when the Lord has provided a really cool story to remind me to stand on the truths of the whole gospel. For us, there was a moment when we were planting Waterfront Church. When we were first starting out, our goal that first year was to raise $225,000 so that we could pay for the Marriott. It was very expensive to do the Marriott uh, and rent it every Sunday for services. It was also expensive to move to the city and to do these different outreach events that we were doing. And so and to, we had to buy all the equipment. I think it was $50,000 of that that we had set aside uh, to buy like sound and video equipment that was portable. We had to get a trailer and all these different things to try to get the church set up. And I'll never forget, $225,000 thousand dollars was our goal and six months before we launched we had ten thousand dollars in the bank account now you can do the math on that we were behind okay we're trying to figure out what it's supposed to look like all we have is ten thousand dollars and uh i had set up my very very first opportunity to go and to present uh, our church to present our church plan uh to first baptist church in plains texas that was the very first time i ever presented and guys i needed an infusion of courage at that point to keep moving forward because again ten thousand dollars and my wife had told me if we don't get at least close to that i don't know if i'm moving with you all right and so uh, we were just sitting there going lord please provide please show us again that you're for us. Help us find a way past this heavy moment. To make matters even weirder, I had gotten a call from a mega church that said they wanted to fund us if we would become an extension campus for them. Now, just for the record, there are three types of churches, in my opinion. You got house churches, you got local churches, and you got mega churches. Just for the record, there are good versions of all three, and there are poor versions of all three. The house church built around uh, the individual pastor and the person who started the church. A local church built around the community and a mega church built around the organization. For us, we always felt called to start a local church, that this would be a church built around uh, the uh, neighborhood and that this specifically, that's why we named the church Waterfront Church. God gave us that name because we felt called to this area in between uh, the Potomac and the Anacostia River and south of the interstate, that this is where God had called us uh, to plant the church. All that to say, so I get a call from a mega church and they said, hey, how much are you trying to raise? And I said 1.3, 1.4 million over five years, but specifically this 225,000 for the first year. 
And right before I met with First Baptist Plains, the megachurch said, how about we give it all to you? They said, but you become an extension campus and show live video feed from our pastor who preaches in the Midwest into the neighborhood. Now, just for the record, I never considered it for a second. I knew it wouldn't work, and I knew that that wasn't what we were called to do. But $10,000 in the account, and someone has just offered us million basically to take our way in the right to take the vision. So I said no, but it's filed away in the back of my mind, man, Lord, that would really be a nice deal to take. I could know that I have a salary coming. We could know that the church is going to get planted. We could know that we could pay the Marriott. We'd already signed a lease at that point. I mean, we would know that everything was coming together. And so... I went to First Baptist Plains. Many of you know First Baptist Plains because of what they've done for us. The stage that I stand on, uh, First Baptist Plains built for us. The sound booth in the back, they built for us. Um, If you've been in the kids' area, the half door in the kids' space, they built the half door in the kids' space all for free. They sent mission teams in to do this work. So I stand up and I preach that Sunday morning. There was about 250 people at the worship service. Then they said, come back tonight if you want to hear and ask questions of Zach and his team for how they're going to plant the church. And about 100 people, 150 people came back that evening to talk to us. I stand up, I present, and then there was a sweet woman who was the head of the missions committee. She stands up and so kindly, so sweet, so kind, had a notepad of questions that she asked, and she checked them off the list as she went through. When we get done, I'm telling you, we need an infusement of encouragement After we get done, the pastor and the chairman of deacons walk up and they go, wow, this was a really special week. The Lord really spoke to us. And he said, we're on board and we want to help you. And I was hoping for $5,000. I'll be honest. I was hoping for $5,000 from that visit. It would be 50% of what we had in the accounts at that point. And the pastor looked at the chairman of the personnel or chairman of the deacons. And the chairman of deacons said, I think 10% sounds about right, don't you? And I said, 10% of what? He said, 10% of your five-year project. My jaw hits the ground. I said, what do you mean? He said, you asked for 1.3, 1.4 million. He said, it'll be over five years, young man. But he said, I think we can commit 130, 140,000. This is a church of 150, 250 people. And just for the record, their people would give way more than that so that our church could exist. I was shocked. That moment, I will never forget. I get chills as I still talk about it. And in fact, when I walk up on the stage, for any from Plains that are watching this, it is not lost on me any time when I walk up on the stage. First Baptist Stamford, Texas, little B small community, were the ones that bought this pulpit for us. I've used it since we were back over there uh, in, the, uh, in, the, in the, uh, the overflow space. I remember those things because they serve as monuments to God's faithfulness. And they remind us when we needed that shot of courage just to keep moving forward. I cried the whole drive home, about an hour and a half drive from Plains to Lubbock. And I cried the whole drive home. This is a true story. I was fixing my glasses and on the drive home, I I was crying so hard, I snapped my glasses in two. And I had to, have you ever done this? Some of you have glasses, you know. They broke and so I had to drive holding up one side with one eye closed like this and the other half was missing. I did that the whole way home that day. I was just so grateful that the Lord had provided for us in that way. The Lord doesn't provide the miraculous so that you can just have a cool story to tell. 
He provides in the miraculous that you might stand and preach the full message, that you might speak the truth, that Christ and him crucified is the only hope that we have, that the resurrection is our only hope for the future. And those things are not like choosing where to go for lunch. We cannot compromise on those things. It begs the question, have you allowed someone to shift your foundation? Have you allowed someone to shift your foundation? If that's you, then maybe, just maybe today, your prayer needs to be, God, inspire courage in this weak heart of mine. God, inspire courage in this weak heart of mine. Now look at the last set of verses and we'll close. This could be a sermon in itself, but let's look at verses 21 through 26. It says, at daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. Stop right there for just a minute and read this into it. They were let out of jail that evening, but they all went home. They didn't go straight to the temple courts. They went home, and I can guarantee you, because the angel of the Lord has told them to preach the gospel in its full measure. They've already seen Peter and John go away, then see them flogged. They've already seen, again, them be put in prison because of this. They go home, and I'm sure they're saying to their families, we don't know what the Lord has in store for us, but he's told us to stand up. They may be saying goodbye to their family, not knowing if that's the last time they'll ever see them. But they stand up with such courage because the Lord has provided for them and they go back in and they begin to share the gospel again. They begin to teach the people in the middle of the temple courts. It says, when the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together all the Sanhedrin, that's the Pharisees and the Sadducees, again, the religious leaders and the political leaders. So everybody's against them at this point. The full assembly of the elders of Israel, and they sent, for the, they sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving to the jail, the officers didn't find them there. So they went back and they reported, we found the jail locked securely with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. Then some of them came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts and they're teaching the people. Stop right there for just a minute. Not only do they go back into the temple courts, but I'm telling you, if that's me and I'd been let out of jail, I can tell you the last place I would probably want to go back in public and doing the thing that puts you in jail in the first place. So all of a sudden they go, man, these guys, guys not only are not in the jail, but they're not in hiding. They're not on the run. You tried to bully them into submission, and instead, they're just standing out there and preaching the gospel, even as powerfully as they were before. Look at what happens in verse 26. It says, at that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force, underline, they did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Underline the word stone them there. Stoning is important also because it was a form of execution that was specific to blasphemy. I mean, the crowd has all of a sudden turned. The crowd that in the earlier part of chapter five looked in and went, oh, we watched from the outside. We're not quite sure that we want to be a part of these people. All of a sudden, that same crowd that thought that maybe the disciples were a little theologically off, all of a sudden, that crowd is sitting there going, man, something holy is happening with that group. And they sit there and they go, maybe we've been looking at the wrong group for blasphemy. Crowd looks at them and goes, uh, you keep persecuting them and God keeps saving them. Maybe something's going on here. And it says that the oppressors all of a sudden feared that they could be hurt. Our last point today, what can God do when we're being persecuted? Number one, God can provide a way past jealousy. Number two, God can inspire courage to stand firm on the gospel. 
And last but not least, God can disarm the forceful. God can disarm the forceful. I don't know about you, but when somebody threatens me verbally, or again, threatens me spiritually, it hurts. But when you have somebody who is physically oppressing you, I mean, I'm telling you, there is a level of fear that just seems like it is insurmountable. I want to encourage you to remember, Scripture tells us no weapon formed against us shall prosper. The heritage of the Christ follower is that if you're taking notes, write this down. Final one, when the world is forceful against us. If you're taking notes, write this down. Final word today. As strong as the world seems, God is stronger. He said again, as strong as the world seems, God is stronger. Less than 24 hours before, the whole Sanhedrin felt like they had the strength and the apostles were weak. But less than 24 hours later, they were the ones afraid of what God might do to them on behalf of the Christ followers, on behalf of the disciples. One last little story and we'll close. I've told this before. I'll tell you the short version. Years ago, whenever you feel oppressed physically, you definitely don't need to carry that burden alone. You need to tell somebody but if it's fear of someone harming you and it's a situation where you're still having to go in, you're still having to navigate it, you've been vocal about what's happening, but you still just feel deeply oppressed, there's just a fear that somebody could do something. After you've told somebody and you're still having to go in, I wanna encourage you, pray. Pray that God would provide a way through that situation, that he'd provide a way around the difficulty. Back when I was in high school, Played football, loved it. It was one of the best experiences of my life. But my freshman year was the last year of the brutal hazing that took place at my particular high school. There were some athletes that got in trouble. Uh, and uh, because of that, we were kind of the last year that, that some of the brutal hazing had happened. And uh, uh, there were two players in particular, seniors when we were freshmen that were coming in uh, for spring ball two players that would kind of take turns picking on the different freshmen that would come through. I don't believe the coaches were aware of it at the time. I think it was something they did when they weren't looking. Um, but we were just very, very scared. And I remember being so frightened one day in particular after practice. And uh, these two guys, both of them over six feet tall. I was only 145 pounds back then, just a shrimpy guy. Uh, for me anyway, about half my weight at that point. Uh, not quite, but, but close. And... Um, I'll never forget these two guys came up to my locker and uh, I mean, they were about to just beat the heck out of me and uh, of disarm. I was so afraid and so nervous. And then the Lord provided a moment of disarming. The best football player ever to come out of our program was a guy named Aaron Humphreys. Aaron Humphreys was an All-American for University of Texas, played kind of a defensive end linebacker position. And uh, Aaron, was, Aaron was huge, six foot five. He was the biggest of the guys, but he was also the strongest. And that spring, he was there before his freshman year at University of Texas. He was there lifting weights. And so just there and just happened to be around that day. He also was in the youth group with me at the church that my dad had pastored. And so I'll never forget, these two guys are about to beat me up. And then all of a sudden, Aaron walks by, sees him, and he just is passing through on his way out of the gym. 
And he goes, hey, leave him alone. He's a preacher. That's what he said. I'd been the chaplain even from the time I was young. Hey, leave him alone. He's a preacher. And he just turns and walks off. Well, at that point, the guys start moving in closer to me. And then one of the guys goes, I've been sleeping with my girlfriend and I'm afraid she's pregnant. Will you pray for me? And I was like, uh, yes. And the other guy was like, uh, man, he goes, I smoked some bad drugs the other day. And he goes, I just hadn't been the same since that. Will you pray for me? I like grabbed the towel, put it over my shoulders. And I was like, go on, my sons, you know? It's like, I'm going to steer right into this thing as long as I don't get beat up, right? We need to praying together in the locker, the locker room. Now listen, my dad would do the chapel for University of Texas the next year. And at the chapel was Aaron Humphreys, famous running back named Ricky Williams, played for Texas back then too. And then the head coach wasn't Mac Brown, it was the guy right before Mac Brown. Anyway, they're sitting at the table, and my dad brought me with him to the chapel. I get to sit at the head table with Aaron Humphreys. We sit down, and he goes, Hey, Zach, how's it going? And I go, Dude, it's going good. I never got to say thank you. And I told him the story, and I remember him kind of crinkling his brow, and he was like, that's what happened that day? And I said, yeah. He goes, I didn't even know that was going on. When you are the oppressed, you remember every vivid detail, don't you? When the Lord provides for you in that circumstance, you remember every word, you remember every movement, you remember the way the wind feels, you remember fear, and all of a sudden in that moment of provision, the Lord sets you free. I want to encourage you, if you are in a situation where you've done all you can, and now you are counting on the Lord to provide, trust him. God can disarm the forceful. Trust him. Still go through your, go through your checklist. Make sure you tell somebody, do your best to get out of that situation, but asking God for help is a very, very powerful thing because he is stronger than anyone who would come against us. No weapon formed against us can prosper. Our God is so powerful and so strong, he can provide a way through. It begs the final question, are you plotting when you should be praying? Are you plotting when you should be praying? There are some of you that would say after this, well, Zach, what are you trying to say? Are you saying that we should never be forceful? Well, Scripture says that there's a time under everything under the sun. But if that's where your brain goes first when you have a problem, it's probably not a good thing. There is a time when physical force needs to be used, and it's a godly thing to do. But those days are very, very few and far between. Most of the time, the Lord wants to use your mind, and he wants to use your hands to gently help in the situation. He wants you to trust him in faith that he might provide a way through. Are you plotting forcefulness when you should be praying? I love you guys. Thanks for listening today. It's more of a teaching message today than a rah-rah message. I hope that some of you it struck home. I do believe that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us today. Persecution is not just on the horizon. Persecution is here for the church in America. I want to encourage you. Know that if the Lord is allowing it, we don't need to pray that it would just disappear we need to pray that he would protect us from the enemy and that we would be able to stand strong in faith. I love you guys. Let's bow our heads for prayer. 
with every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around but just me. We call this our time of reflection. There's nothing mystical or magical about this time. Just a chance for us to stop and to process how we're different because of the songs we've sung, the sermon we've heard, and specifically the scripture that we've read. With nobody looking around but just me, is there anyone here today that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? I've got someone who's jealous and they are after me. Whether it be at work, whether it be with the law, whether it be with family, whether it be with, again, any situation, the community. If you're here and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. Pray that I would find a way past that windmill. Pray that the Lord would provide a way past this jealousy because I can't do it on my own. With nobody looking but just me, if that's you, maybe this whole message was just for you today. If that was you, I just want to pray for you. If you would just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you. Thank you. It takes guts. Y'all can put your hands down. Pray. If that was you, I'm going to pray for you. But I want to encourage you, just pray this simple prayer. Lord, provide a way. Lord, provide a way that I could move forward. Second, maybe there are some of you that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? I need courage to stand firm on the gospel with nobody looking around but just me. If there's anyone here today that would say, Zach, it's been really difficult, it's been tough, that I need one of those First Baptist Plains moments like you talked about. I need one of those moments with nobody looking but just me. If that's you, I just want to pray for you. If that's you, if you just lift your hand where you are right now. I see you. I see you. I see you guys. Y'all can put your hands down. So many of you. Y'all can put your hands down. Thank you. If that was you, I'm going to pray for you. But your prayer is very simple. Just cry out to God and say, Lord, please give me an infusion of courage. Lord, please give me an infusion of courage. Provide a story for me, a testimony for me, so that I can remember that I'm on the right path. And then last but not least, maybe there are some of you that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? I feel like I'm the story you talked about. I'm at the locker and I need the Lord to disarm the forceful. With nobody looking but just me, God is able to do so. If you're here and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. Pray that the Lord would disarm my oppressors and that he would turn the tables just like he did for the disciples. If that's you, I just want to pray for you. If you just lift your hand where you are right now. I see you. I see you. That takes a lot of guts. Y'all can put your hands down. Thank you. Thank you. If that was you, I'm going to pray for you. But I want to encourage you again to ask God very simply, Lord, please intervene on my behalf. Lord, please intervene on my behalf. Send an angel my way, just like you did for the disciples, and protect me. Jesus himself says, my prayer is not that we would be removed. My prayer is that they would be protected from the evil one. If that's you, just pray that simple prayer that comes straight from the mouth of the Son of God. Lord, protect me from the evil one. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll stand. Father, thank you for this day and for your blessings in it. Thank you for the chance that we've had to study your word. And Lord, 
Thank you for the courage of the disciples. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ for those needing a way past jealousy today that you would provide it. Lord, for those needing courage to stand firm on the gospel that you would provide them with amazing testimonies. And Lord, for those who need you to intervene on their behalf against the forceful. Lord, we ask in the name of Jesus Christ not that you would remove them, but Lord, that you would protect them from the evil one. Lord, protect them in Jesus' name. Amen.